HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. Learn more at appeal.com. Welcome to Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. My name is Aaron Sanchez. And I'm Sarela Martinez. And today we're really, really excited, uh, super pumped up to invite a special guest, somebody that's very near and dear to both myself and my mother. Uh, he's a gentleman that really was instrumental in my maturation as a chef and as a cook. Uh, he took really good care of me in probably one of the most important jobs that I had coming up and learning our trade. And that gentleman is Jorge Adrián Sola. And... Jorge was uh, one of the former chefs at Patria. He was my boss back in the day. And currently, he's the executive chef and consultant at Castro, Uptown Social, and Tio Luca. Tio Luca. And uh, we thought we'd bring in uh, Jorge today to talk about a subject that I think is an absolute building block of flavor, right? And such an essential ingredient, and it's plantains. Yes, and what I love about it is that it's a, the perfect example of Afro-Mexican cooking. Yeah, I put I put up some information on it on my website, sarela.com. And uh, people said, I didn't even know that it existed. Mm-hmm. And and of course it existed. It's all the way down the coast in Veracruz. When Cortes arrived in Mexico, he already had with him an African slave. Mm-hmm. And more would come and bring the cuisine. And I find it that it's so, so um, adaptable to so many different kinds of cooking in, in Mexico. Yeah, and the plantain is such an essential ingredient in so many different uh, cuisines all over the world. You think about Africa and that ingredient kind of migrating through the Caribbean and then making its way uh, to to Mexico, obviously Central and South America. Jorge, your background is, is you're Peruvian, Peruvian born. You were actually a merchant marine back in the day. You came to the States to to go to school, and then you did, and then you you got into the kitchen as a hobby in a way to sort of supplement your income, and then you took it on as a full career. How long How long were you on it as a full career? Full-time. I was working full-time and part-time going to school. Mm. Uh, I went through different cuisines until I ended up working at Patria, Cayocha. That's where I met you. Well, that's where I had the honor to meet, uh, meet your mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, I mean, you back in the day, you were a kid. Yeah. And... Uh, I always push you, mm-hmm. and when 
it's an honor now that I could see you and you're this big celebrity chef. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great, Jorge. You taught me not only lessons in the kitchen, but also very essential lessons in life, how to be a man, how to be responsible. You really did so many, so many things for my career that I just have an opportunity to thank you here on this beautiful podcast. No need. No so, need. well, today we're going to be focusing on plantain. So what is a plantain, Mom? Well, it's, it comes from a plant. Everybody thinks that, that a banana tree, it's a banana tree. No, it's a plant. What I, what I love about this plantain story is that you use, it's another example of an ingredient that is used at all different types of maturation, and every part of the plant is used. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the leaves are used for tamales. They're used to make sacawil. The trunks are, are, made, are used to make the bed of the, of the sacawil that you cover with the banana leaves and then put the dough, the dough in. So sacawil is a gigantic tamal. It's either done in the oven or it's done in, uh, on top of the stove in some places. But the sacawil is about six feet long, so they cut the, the leaves like that. And then you make a liquid masa, marinate some big chunks of pork, big chunks of uh, chicken, and put them in that, and then cover it with more leaves, and lots of lard, by the way. And then, which I love, by the way, lard is not bad for you if you home render it. You know, they used to call me the the lard queen. queen. (laughs) But anyway, if you home render it, it's two-thirds unsaturated. And it has oleic acid, which is the same thing that olive oil has, which helps break down cholesterol, which is, explains why my aunts live to be 98 years old eating lard every single day. So it's we're, I've been trying to bring the reputation of lard to the forefront for many, many years. So the, in Veracruz, what they do is they, they put it in the, in the oven that they make the bread. So when they turn the, the oven off, they put the sacawil in for the night, and then it's ready in the next morning to serve for breakfast. And you go to restaurants, and they're all they're serving is this big tamal, and the big moment is when they take off the leaves, and all this wonderful smell comes out, and this luscious, luscious uh, concoction is you know is there for everybody to enjoy. Make me hungry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's 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 focus a little bit on the different varieties of plantains. Okay, so. You know, I think it's important to to mention to our listeners that they are inedible when raw. Okay, so plantains have to be cooked. So there's, you know, you think about the basics. We ha- we have the green plantain, so it's an underripe plantain, and it's more starchy. It has a starchier content. It's used more in savory applications as opposed to sweet. And then once that matures and it starts, it has this gr- grungy kind of black speckled exterior that becomes a maduro or sweet plantain. And um, they also call it platano macho. And uh, that's when you start getting more of those essential sugars coming out as the plantain ripens. Many, many years ago, we did a video of you teaching us how to peel a green plantain, Mm -hmm. which is really hard to do, you know. So you remind us how you do it. Well, I learned it from Jorge, actually. You know, you you take the green plantains, you cut off each end, then you kind of score it, the skin, and put it into hot water or boiling hot water till it turns black. And that allows the actual green plantain skin to to kind of uh, 
detach itself from the actual flesh of the plant. Make it, make it easier for uh, to peel it. To peel it, yeah. But if you go into some traditional Latin countries, people Oof. actually do it yes. with their hands, like with you know yes. with just their nails. And, you know, that's the old school way. Which I saw in Dominican Republic in, yeah. uh, in, the, in the fields. Yeah. I mean, I, w I was amazed the yeah. way they did it. And very fast, too. Yeah. Well, well, when you take that green planting, you can make the, the maduros with it. I mean, can, can you make the, the tostones with it? Yes, isn't, isn't yes. That, that's, that's, I guess, would be the primary use of it, green, no? Yeah. Well, it, consider, it a, consider it a starch. Like, you would use... Like you would almost use a potato. You can make exactly. chips with it. You can make purees with it. Uh, you know, we talk about the tostón, which is a, tri a twice fried green planting. Yes. What are some of the other ones, Jorge? Uh, we could use in stews too, like a thick uh, the stews. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, as, about, I told you about a year ago, I did gnocchis mm -hmm. with it, with a little flour, and you had a little lard, which is nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, the lard got. Uh, but rap in the 90s, mm -hmm. yeah. unfortunately. And you're right about that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I remember yeah. Kurt Vonnegut said to me, isn't it ridiculous how people make such a big deal about something that they would never eat anyway? <laughs> <laughs> True. Exactly. Um, yeah, so, you know, you talk about the different usages. So green plantain, the most traditional way that you would see it, especially if you're talking about Puerto Rican cuisine or Caribbean Latin cuisine, is the tostones, which in essence is a twice-fried green plantain. Mariquitas. Mariquitas, which is uh, more, which would be like thinly Thinner, shaved yes. chips. Um, then you kind of move into the world of mashing it. So then you have something that, that's very typical in the Dominican Republic called mangu. Mofongo. You have the mofongo. Pastelon. Yeah, the mofongo is something that they do in Puerto Rico where they actually t uh, they take the green plantain, they put it into a mortal and pestle to kind of open it up, and then they fill it with different pork and different fillings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do that in, in Veracruz as well. Yes, absolutely. And then, you, you know, then when you start to work with it, you know, you can actually take green plantains, cook them, and then kind of layer them to use almost like a lasagna, which they call the pastelon which is great. Green plantains are an essential ingredient in making pasteles as well. Oh, yeah. We're making the, the sort of Caribbean-style tamales. Um, and then when you move over to the sweet uh, plantain arena, let's talk about some different applications for that. Well, let's do one more green thing because that's important. In Veracruz, you shave the green plantain and put it in masa. Mm. We make tortillas with it. Yes. Mm. So they, it's just wonderful. I mean, it's just delicious because it's a little bit starchy and it holds the, the tortilla very well together. And, you know, and the green plantain doesn't have a lot of inherent flavor. It's very neutral mm -hmm. in its flavor. So you really need to, you know, it's a perfect foil for putting bean purees and, and dipping it in, in a garlicky mojo and those sorts of things that, that can really sort of lift it up a little bit. But a word of caution, if you're going to be cooking with plantains, you make sure that you have the right d degree of ripeness. Mm -hmm. Because this is not one of those things that you can put on your li shopping list and go say, I'm going to go get a plantain. Because, mm -hmm. you know, probably will not be ripe enough or it will be too, too ripe. You know? So it's very important to plan ahead when you're going to be cooking with plantains. Yeah, and preferably go to a Latin market, you know, where they have yeah, some you experience gotta know in them. Which plantain you got to pick. How long do you think a green plantain takes to ripen? And what is the best way to, to get them ripe? Well, well I, mean, I mean, it varies. You know, ideally, you would put them in a dry storage area. Exactly. That's what we used to do in the basement, and dry, and let it sit there by itself. 
You want to cover them though, with, yes, because because they, they 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 get bugs and they get prone mm-hmm. to a lot of different things. Yes. Yeah, you got to cover them. But yeah, I mean it depends, mom. I mean, put into a nice sort of ambient temperature room, like a dry storage, and let it do its thing. And I think if you if you went from green, what Jorge to to ripe, maybe a couple of weeks. Couple maybe. of weeks, I would yeah. say. It depends the temperature of the room too. So so they don't. Most bananas and plantains get get transported green. Yes. yes. So when they go to a, let's say a produce, produce uh, distributor, they're put in a room and they get some sort of gas. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. To, exactly. To get them to get them to, ripened. To, yeah. So so this is why it's very important to to plan ahead. I mean, I can't t- stress that enough. I agree with you. Just like you would do an avocado, you buy an avocado green. Exactly. And then let it ripen on its own. And then when you're ready to use it, go for it. So plan ahead, basically, is what you're saying, right? So so once you get, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the green plantain, all the different applications. Think of it as a potato. It, it's, it's, very, it's very amenable to, to big flavor. It's kind of neutral as far as its flavor profile. And once you get to the sweet plantain arena, what are some of those different applications and th- different recipes that I think are out there? Because there's so many. Remember the fufu. Yeah. We used to mix it with the onions, the onions and uh, bacon. Yeah. Love. And that, that was a beautiful puree. That was a beautiful puree. A lot of flavor. Yeah. The sweetness and the savory from the bacon and the onions. Yeah. Well, that's what we in Veracruz, they, they do it. They saute um, jalapenos and plenty of garlic, cook the, the, the plantain, which, by the way, if you cook it ahead of time, it's going to turn hard as a rock. So you, this is where microwave really helps a lot to, to mm. soften it, you know, again. But it's uh, there. It's a different flavor. But what you do is, you know, there's three levels of, of a lard. Take some chicharrones, which is the la- last level of, of rendering lard. Mm-hmm. You mash it up with the plantains, saute it with jalapenos and lots of garlic, and then you serve it as a... As a side dish, and it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah it sounds nice like flavors. a little fufu. That, that's very similar. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I like the spiciness. I like the idea of putting jalapenos in that because it contrasts the sweetness from the plantain and the spiciness. Yeah. And then you have the flavor of the lard and, or the chicharrón. Yeah. One of the traditional dishes I had on my menu at Centrico forever were uh, the platano rellenos. So I used that to do those. sweet plantains, cook them, then I would put them in a tortilla press to flatten them out. Then I would put a smoked black bean puree with, with queso Oaxaca, and then I would fold those back up, yeah, and then fry them, and then serve them just with crema. That's wonderful. So that beautiful contrast of the cheese and crema sweetness and smokiness really is a beautiful little touch. So almost similar. I did. I took the plantain, the sweet plantain, whole with a with a peel and uh, put it in the oven, mm. and then let it cook there for 10 minutes, and then put a, I have a stew of uh, bacalao. Yeah. Put oh, it yeah. on top, too. That's mm. a nice idea, I mean, because you have the sweetness and the saltiness from the bacalao. Mm-hmm. You know, it's contra yeah. there. And I had I had a version of that on my menu at Paladar for many years, the, the stuffed plantain with bacalao. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you know, I have a, on my website, I put up a, a whole section on how to cook plantains and how to stuff them. Poor Jan Birnbaum, who is mm-hmm. now gone, the chef, uh, chef that you that you work with, mm-hmm. chef Ed, with Paul mm-hmm. Perdom, and th- they show you exactly how to make a platano relleno. Yeah, and and I have it there. So look at sarela.com and look plantains, and you'll find many many recipes. 
Yeah, plantains. And one of the one of your one of your signature staple dishes you had at Sarelas for for over twenty five years, Mom, was just fried plantains, sweet plantains with mole. Exactly. Yeah. And that, I mean, think about yes. the, the the mole and its inherent sweetness and its complexity with the little the sweetness and the the, the fried texture of the sweet plantains. It was a perfect marriage. And yeah. the chilies. Yeah, and the chilies. All, all that combination of uh, ingredients. Yeah. The yeah. mother used a lot in stuffings with picadillo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. You know, when you want to stuff, a, like say a smoked chili that we've spoken about a lot, you you, you stuff the the plantain with the picadillo with pork, plantains, apples, whatever is in cinnamon, canela actually, which we will talk about the Mexican cinnamon, which is not Mexican, but in mm-hmm. any case, that's what it's called. So that's that's another way of using it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's important to mention that. You know, when you when you want to go into maybe some of the sweet arena, there is some very simple ways to kind of use it in a sort of a dessert format. Something simple, you know, if you're out there barbecuing or grilling and you have some coals, you know, wrap those plantains in uh, in some foil. Just jam them in the coals, cook them, and oh, then maybe put good. a little bit of a little bit of melao or a little bit of piloncillo or like a brown sugar in there while they cook, and you have this very sweet, beautiful sort of glazed roasted plantain i did that with uh, maple syrup yeah with maple syrup same thing so it, yeah. it, it, and it does make a lot of sense you can so if you wanted to use sweet plantain in a dessert application there's you know think of the think of like a, almost like a carrot cake but using plantain you can do you can do many different things how about your dish that you created very early on that was called bananas fausto oh yeah oh, yeah yeah. So this was a really fun dish. So you know, my time in <laughs> my time in New Orleans, they you know I, you learned the famous bananas fosters, right? Yes. And that dish is basically tableside uh, tableside uh, flambéed bananas with cognac or brandy, or you know to create the whole flambé, and you serve it in a butter sauce. So I took that premise and did it with plantains, but instead of brandy, I put rum. And then I put a little bit of piloncillo or yeah. or panela or, or the you know an unrefined brown sugar. Yep. And then I would flambe with the rum, and I call the bananas Faustos. And how about <laughs> the other dish? <laughs> Instead of bananas Fosters. <laughs> Do you remember the other dish that was? You were so clever. I mean, you still are, but you were very clever very early on. But you did papa and hijo. Oh yeah. That you used to do a, a fried plantain with a. With some uh, salmon roll. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the, the creme fraiche. Yeah, well, well, we would. Yeah, we did. Uh, so I used to use the plantain, uh, like make a toston basically. Put a little beautiful cube, then I'd put some beautiful smoked salmon from Russ and Daughters, nice. yeah. which was around the corner from my restaurant. And then I would get some salmon roll, and I would put a little lemon crema fresca, yeah, and then chive, and then just put the little the little smoked salmon, and then the roll. So it'd be Dad and hijo, the eggs. <laughs> you know what? We, we keep on talking about making a tostón. Yes. I, th- I really think that you need to to explain about that because there are even little forms to to, to yeah, make yeah. A, You know, there's there's a, a tostón maker that you kind of sp- press like a tortilla. Yeah. But so, it's, yeah. So explain. Yeah, Jorge, tell them what you you have to cook it like you would blanch a uh, French fry. You have to cook it exactly lower. Exactly. A low so. temperature, uh, 250 degrees. For a while, so make a little, to, in order to cook the whole entire uh, plantain, and you cut it 
of course, you have the plantain, the whole plantain, you cut in pieces. Yeah, about four maybe or five, one, yeah, one, inch one inch or yeah. one and a half inch. It depends how you like it. And then let it cook there for five to ten minutes, depending on the thickness of the plantain. And then take it out as they are hot, you just mash it. And when you're ready to serve it, you refry it at 350 degrees. Yeah, at a higher temperature. A higher temperature. To get the crispiness in there. Exactly. And so, then yeah. once they're cooked and crispy, then you salt it and the, yeah. mo- the traditional mojo, yeah. which is a nice ingredient. Uh, yeah, With garlic. But, yeah, tons of garlic. But to garlic. Di- so just to be clear, to, 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 you know, to allude to what my mom was saying, so you're in that sense, like, this is how you would make French fries at home, by the way, guys. Yes, exactly. You would cut beautiful strips of potato. You would cook it in lower oil, in essence, to, to start to accelerate the cooking process, then cool that down, or you know, cool it down for a little bit, let those starches kind of come out, then turn up the heat, and then fry it again and crisp it up. And that's how you make a toston. So once you get it, once you, you flatten it in that middle yes. part, you can put it through a tostonera, which is a wooden contraption, that actually you can put in the plantain while it's par-cooked to get the shape. Yeah. And that's, in essence, what you can do. Well, you know, one thing that is very, very <clears throat> original in, in Veracruz is that they make these gorditas infladas, mm. which are like papadoms, actually. Mm. You know, you make the masa, you cook the plantain in milk. It must be some sort of chemical thing there. And you mash it together, and then you make the, you fry the tortillas, and they fluff up. And this, it could be a dessert or it can be part of a, of a meal, but it, it has to be eaten right away, obviously. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's one of those pleasures that you wait for, and then you fight over when they come to the table. Another way that I also learned is f- through uh, Adrian Leon, mm-hmm. which he, he used to make empanadas yeah. with plantains. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. The flavors is amazing because you fill it up with the, either chicken or fish or pork or mm-hmm. beef. And it goes well with all the proteins. Mm-hmm. It's that amazing um, of the plantain. You know? Yeah. Well, also in Veracruz, you make garnachas with it, mm-hmm. with the ripe, with the mm-hmm. ripe plantain. You you combine it with with masa, masa. and make these little boat shapes, mm. and then fill it up with all these delicious things. By the way, all of these recipes are in my book, Sarelas <laughs> Veracruz, which is out of print, but you can get it. I gotta get that I book. I think it's an absolute page turner. And an essential in every cook's library. Thank so, you you you've always been a tra- uh, trailblazer, mom, in your research as a as a as an anthropologist through food, doing justice to our cuisine and our culture. So that that should never be overlooked. That's true. That's true. Uh, I remember when I met you. Uh, I didn't know anything about you, uh, but Douglas Rodriguez informed me. You know who was Sarah Martinez. And I went to your restaurant a couple of, after that, I went to your restaurant, of course. And I learned more about you and your history and your life. Oh, which I hope you which, didn't. Which <laughs> I, you know, as a woman back in the day, is a big achievement. Well, yeah. I remember Douglas going to the restaurant and, you know, I didn't decorate my plates, you know. <laughs> and he would come in and he said, well, why don't you put a little no, micro no, greens no. and, you know, whatever. He w- always wanted to change my food. And I said, it's okay. You, no. you, can, you can do that. I do what I do. You exactly. Do what I do. Exactly. I know, but I think it's important to, to mention this quick story. You know, um, the reason I got to start working with you, Jorge, was that my mom had eaten a patria right when we opened. Yes, yes. And, and she had, she did, yeah. we had Sunday dinner. And she says, Aron, you won't believe this food I had. This chef named Douglas Rodriguez from Miami, 
It's this restaurant on Park Avenue and 20th. You got to eat this man's food. It's so amazing. So I had an appointment to go work, an interview with Tom Calicchio at Gramercy Tavern when yeah. he was the chef. So as I'm walking, it was 1995, because Alex was still there yes. and Mikey was still yes. there. Yes. So I, I walk, and I'm going to, to take an interview at Gramercy Tavern, and then I see the restaurant. And I walk in, and I say, hi, I'm Aaron Sanchez. I'm Sarela Martinez's son. Can I speak to the chef? And then Douglas came out. He said, can you start right now? I said, yeah, absolutely, sir. And I never went to Gramercy Tavern. And imagine how my career would have changed had I go work with Tom. I know. Uh, Isn't that just one moment, one decision can change your life and your career? Exactly. And you should follow your instincts. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a good lesson for everyone out there. Yeah. yeah. You know? I, I think as we keep on mentioning Douglas Rodriguez, and I think that he is one of the really pioneering people like like John George, like yeah. who that created a cuisine, a genre mm-hmm. that that lives on and changed the whole aspect of Latin cooking. And you are absolutely absolutely right. Uh, he brought our cuisine to a different level. Absolutely. Yep. And then before him was Felipe Lombardi uh, Rojas. Lombardi. Rojas. Yes. Rojas Lombardi who yes. was I, he was fr- he was Peruvian from, Peru, from your yeah. co- He wrote a book called The Art of South American Cooking, which all of you guys should pick up. I think it was published in '86, somewhere around there. It's an absolute staple of Latin cuisine. He opened the doors. Yeah, he really opened the doors, and then and then Douglas really took that. It started to in Miami level. at Yucca, and then brought that to New York, and it was a real game changer. So, um, if Douglas, if you're out there, we we love you and we respect you, and thank you for all you contributed. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Here at HRN, we care about reducing waste across our food system, from farms to home kitchens. We know that about half of the produce we grow ends up in the trash. We all want to enjoy produce at peak freshness and reduce the amount that gets thrown away. That's where Appeal comes in. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. It's edible, invisible, and imitates how peels naturally protect fruits and vegetables. Because here's the thing, less waste doesn't just mean we're throwing less food away. It also means we waste less water, energy, and other resources that go into growing produce. Appeal works with nature to reduce waste across the food system from the farm to the kitchen. Appeal helps us conserve our precious resources to ensure we have fresh food to meet our growing needs. Appeal. Food gone good. Learn more at appeal.com. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and I'm the host of Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview extraordinary women in the world of food and wine. And I've expanded this season to create Giving Broadly, a website devoted to amazing products by extraordinary women entrepreneurs. Check it out for great gifts and ways to amp up your cooking this season. That's givingbroadly.com. You know what I want to tell is you to tell or you to tell the story of the fish with with Jorge who had gone on the stage. Oh, yeah. It's my favorite story of all. Well, see, I don't forget anything. Maybe that's because I I stopped smoking. No, so many stories that I I have... (laughs) 
<laughs> so I remember so you told this story when it was like when you first got here, Jorge, it was maybe the early 80s or something like that. And you had made up a little money and you were you were doing something, I don't know, working in restaurants and going to school. And then you you finally got up the nerve to get a nice little outfit and invite this beautiful blonde girl out to di- to a date. And oh. you took her to city to City Island. Yes. And oh. oh my God! <laughs> don't, bring, don't bring that story. That's <laughs> yeah, no, a great story. So then, Jorge, he, he tells the story. He goes, "Man, it was like Saturday Night Fever just came out. I had the big bell bottoms on, the platform shoes, <laughs> and it, like three buttons down. And then you t- you you could barely speak English. You take this hot mamacita out to City Island. You're like, you had a little bit of money. You go, let's buy some of those whole porgies, baby. So." You buy the whole porgies, and then she's and you try to watch your manners, and then you start eating the whole thing very, very, you know, astutely and properly, and then it gets to the head, and you just start sucking the eyeballs out of the, out of the fish head, and this woman was she's <laughs> staring at me, <laughs> and then she probably thought if he can do that with the fish, imagine what comes later. Right, Jorge? I don't want to talk about it. It's not the right program for that. Well, you don't know. It was a great day, though. It was a great day. <laughs> but that's back in the day. Back in the day, yes. Uh, well, I grew up, you know, as you know, we eat everything in the animal. I mean, there is not limits for us. But here, it was. it's a different story back back mm. then. Yeah, it was. Especially back then. I love so I, when I raise my head and I see her staring at me, I'm like, oh, yeah. did I break any rules? <laughs> exactly. And I remember. You didn't suck me any day. <laughs> exactly. And I remember you were saying, you're like, she was blonde haired, man, because we had all seen, you know, movies with Marilyn Monroe. And it was like, as a Latino, when you go out with a blonde girl, it means you've made it. You know what I no, mean? No, no. As a matter of fact, the bus boys, they were all looking at me. And I was like. Yeah, you know, a, a big chat. I felt like that, but I love that. I love that. All right, so we talked a little bit about the different styles of of well, the most common, I should say, the green and the sweet plantain. But I think it's important to mention sometimes that there are other kind of other family members of the plantain. You have something called guineos, right? And let's talk a little bit about those, the shorter, stouter little uh, bananas and green plantains that are found all over the Caribbean and other places. Talk a little bit about that, Jorge. We do, we usually utilize it in, uh, to mix it with the rice. Mm-hmm. When you do a coconut rice and you chop oh, it up yeah. and, and saute it all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that, you know, to use them there. Also, as a dessert, like tempura and fry them and ice cream mm-hmm. next to it with a little panela. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so guineos are like the smaller green plantains, right? It has the taste of banana, but a little sweeter. Yeah. I find it. Okay. Outstanding. I never really work with that. Yeah. Well, I think it's important. Like when you go and you want to be adventurous and go check out a Latin market, whether you go to the Essex Street Market or you go to La Marqueta up in Harlem, if you're in New York, you know, usually you're going to find your, your plantains in where you call like the viandas or the tubers. So r- it, usually your plantains are going to be next yes. to your malanga, mm-hmm. next to your calabaza, next to your boñato, next to all those sort of roots. So when you're there and you're sort of perusing that area, you make sure that you, 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 you procure the best plantains possible. All right? And like my mother said, plan ahead when you're going to use plantains, whether in the green uh, version or the sweet plant, or the sweet version. A wonderful thing to make for a p- party, I think. I call it a lasagna, but it isn't a lasagna, obviously. 
I cook the plantains and prepare them, you know, with a jalapeno and mm -hmm. garlic and that. Make a layer, then mm -hmm. put a layer mm -hmm. of black beans because mm -hmm. it goes through, the, and then top it with mole, mm -hmm. and then with cheese, and then and it's just delicious because you make the last. The yeah, you last have all layer. those flavors uh, yeah. going of on. Of course, it's very not very low calorie, but <laughs> exactly. But I think it's important to mention that plantain is the people's ingredient. Yes, it is. It is something that almost. Every community, all walks of life, socioeconomic backgrounds, people can afford plantains. It's like the tortilla. And it's, and it's so, you know, you see its versatility. We've mentioned many different applications and recipes on this podcast. But it's something that I want, if you have not had a chance to cook with plantains, please venture out and start working with these wonderful ingredients. They're humble. They're versatile. They're loaded with flavor. And you can really put your own finger, your fingerprint on it, your own style yes. on, the, on these ingredients. Well, you know, I mentioned sacahuila, and I want to get back to that subject because I didn't explain it very well. In the northern part of Veracruz, in the Huasteca, they make this tamal. In one area, mm -hmm. they, make it, they make it in the oven, mm -hmm. which is what you can do at, at home. You, you, the, the whole trick is to get the masa to be a little coarse or more coarse, like about the size of a, a rice kernel. You puree it, mix it up with, with lots of chicken stock. So the texture is, is just wonderful. So at home, what I do is line a pot with a lot of banana leaves, yes. a plantain, uh, banana leaves, put the masa in there and bake it at, you know, like 250 for eight hours. And it's so wonderful. I have the recipe up on the website, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you just remind, remind me of uh, the vegetarian tamal that we used to do at Patrio. Mm -hmm. Ayacas. Ayacas, yeah. Uh, green plantain, malanga, and boniato, I believe. Mm -hmm. And we put it all together with a lot of sofrito. We yep. used to make a sofrito, give you a little flavor. And it's all, it was a vegan. Back then, it was a vegan. Yeah, and remember, tamale. we would grind it through the meat grinder. Yes, the whole thing. We would take actually the same bit that you would grind uh, meat to make ground beef. We would actually use that to, to grind all these different tubers, including the and green the plantain. And the binder was the plantain. Yeah, the binder because was the, the plantain, yeah. absolutely. Because it had the more, more starch. Yep. And all the all the all the ingredients in the yeah. we we were ahead of our uh, ahead of the curve now, <laughs> right? Everyone's <laughs> like my tío says, you know, I was vegan back in the day because I was poor. <laughs> we had frijoles, arroz, tortilla. That's right. Sopa. <laughs> that, re that reminds me of the original vegans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was the beginning. Yeah, yeah I, that reminds me of a story when I was doing my research in my Oaxaca book. Mm -hmm. Is that I asked one of the people, "What is, uh, uh, how has the crisis affected you?" That was the time of the crisis, and he said, "It hasn't affected us at all because we eat beans, chili, exactly. you know, tomatoes, and that we always have plenty of." We are going back in time. We are going back in, in basics. Exactly. That's what we learn. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I mean, uh, we find now that it, the whole culinary um, landscape. landscape has grown. Yeah. We, now we have more ingredients to play with, mm -hmm. and we mix the cultures. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we, I take a little bit from Mexico. I take a little from China mm. and mix it up and from my country. And now you see in the American restaurants using mm. our ingredients. I mean, ají de marillo, plantains, yeah. moles, mm. uh, ceviches, and you name it. It's and this there. is an exciting time. And I think it's important to mention that on this podcast, cooking in Mexican from A to Z. You're the A and I'm the Z. Yes. <laughs> and a big part of what we, a big aim is 
to celebrate the ingredients that really define Mexican cuisine. And that people don't know how to use. And they don't know how to use, so exactly. That's what we're trying to do. Is so many ingredients are available now, but people don't know how to use them. And this is the aim of cooking in Mexican from A to Z. Exactly. We want, we want this to be uh, educational, fun, uh, and we want everyone to embrace these ingredients in our food. And this podcast is going gonna, is gonna to show you the way. And I think, Jorge, you brought up something interesting. I know when I started cooking as, in the younger part of my career, I thought about doing what Douglas did, redefining Latin cuisine with contemporary technique, using high-end ingredients, and, you know, and creating this sort of hybrid uh, Latin cuisine. And now as I've gotten older, I find myself going back to grandma's kitchen and the simple techniques. And that is more appealing to chefs as we get older. The apple doesn't fall apart, far away from the tree. Yeah. So we have to go back to the roots and kind of like reorganize our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Now that life is changing with all these new um, forms of life, mm-hmm. you know, being vegan, uh, gluten-free, and dairy-free. Paleo. And, paleo and like your uncle said, I was a vegan back then. I was a vegan too. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we used to eat more vegetables than today. More out of necessity. Yeah. But, yeah, and I think it's important. And the hardest thing that we have we find in restaurants is how do you teach a young cook, a young person, mm-hmm. the simplicity and how to create awesome full food with five ingredients. Exactly. You know, and that's what Jonathan Waxman does so perfectly. You give him five ingredients, he can make a recipe sing. And that's the big thing that we struggle with now is to teach kids the beauty in, sim- in simple food. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I was talking to Sue Torres, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. a younger chef who had that restaurant called Sueños. And they're talking to her about consulting to do a Mexican vegan restaurant. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, two years ago, I would have said, you know, forget it. <laughs> but now I say, go for it, girl. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. No, totally. I mean... New York has changed a lot, and they, you know I love New York because it's a multicultural city, mm-hmm. and uh, you have all these ingredients and cultures that you learn from. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said before, I mean life has changed so much that now we take care of our bodies, mm-hmm. and uh, I could see that. I could see the Mexican vegan. Yeah, me too. But 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 it's it's taken a, a readjustment of, of no total, of course, of mind mindset. I mean, it is crazy to think that Patria opened 25, 26 years ago. Yep. It and, was, um, you know, to think about that, you know, that time and how much Latin cuisine has grown, its awareness, its, the access to ingredients, how people's knowledge of Latin cuisine now differentiating, guess what, uh, Peruvian food's not Mexican food, the basic stuff. Yeah. The regionality is being understood now more so that by the layman, by the person that, at home now. So people always talk about trends. What's the next trend? I really do feel that people are going to start to break down Mexican regional cuisine. Yeah. You're going to have to start to see restaurants that are focused only on barbacoa. Exactly. You're going to see restaurants that are only going to be focused yes. on food from Veracruz. You know what I mean? And that's what I think is going to be is happening now. It is happening, but it's going to be more prevalent. Let's talk really quickly about regional cuisine. What happened was, you know, the, the Spanish brought the ingredients from the old world, mm-hmm. and the spices, uh, the, the, you know, chickens, you know, pork, all that. And, and the Mexicans combined it with our traditional ingredients. But those traditional ingredients were regional. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the thing is that if the Spanish ingredients came to Oaxaca, the local people combined it with their mm-hmm. local exactly. ingredients, and that was Oaxaca 
Oaxacan cuisine, and mm-hmm. that happened in Yucatan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that happened all over. I mean, you think about there not being any horses in the New World before the Spaniards. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that. But, you know, one interesting thing that's happened, and I think it's important to mention, is my mom talked about the Spanish contribution. Think about what their agenda was, right? They wanted to find El Dorado, the city of gold, right? But not only Spanish, French, too. Yeah, yeah. They are the Europeans. But they also, they wanted to convert the, in, the indigenous people yeah. to Christianity. Yeah. So they brought olive oil for communion. They brought Venice vinifera, red wine. And, and they the, and they brought other... wheat and they brought wheat yeah. and they brought wheat so for yeah. the body of Christ so they, that's that was another part of a series of ingredients that affected culturally Mexico and then so next season we're gonna concentrate on how we uh, the Spanish the old world ingredients mm-hmm. and how you know how we have adapted it over many many years of this mestizo cooking yep <laughs> and how they've been yeah how they've been adopted into what current Mexican food is all about. I think it's important. We'll touch upon that on season two. Um, what can I say, Jorge? Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor, a pleasure. And uh, like I said before, I'm very proud of you, your career. Um, I always admire Sarela, uh, of course. One of my heroes in the beginning of my career. Uh, I've read your books. Some of them, I got to get the next ones. I can't wait for yeah. yours. I, I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for you. Yeah, <laughs> the last I, I'll, one. <laughs> I'll get you because you're very, you're very much uh, featured in, the, in my memoir, <laughs> Where I Come From, Life Lessons of a Latino Chef, available now from Abrams' book, uh, published by Abrams. Uh, it's a fantastic read. It's and a it, beautiful book. And it really, and it really, and what's really special for, I know my mom and myself, is to have you here because you played such a pivotal role in the early parts of my career. And there were times where I was, being, I was this close to being fired or I was messing up. And Jorge would always have my back, and he says, "No, this kid has something. You have to, you have to stick with him. Because when people act out, especially young people, they're asking for attention. And I needed the attention. Jorge gave it to me. He stuck in. He stuck there with me. And look where I'm at now. So exactly. I really, really believe that you had a huge role in that. And I thank you." for sticking with me. I'm glad that you didn't lose the bet. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Now, everyone, now everyone's like, well, I knew he had it in him, so I really appreciate it, Jorge. No, good. I'm, I'm, but like I said before, I'm very happy where you are. Um, congratulations. Keep going. I mean, it's great that you are having this conversation about your country and your culture and what mm-hmm. brings to America, and we have to learn. Absolutely. Uh, learning is a good thing. You know, we're and learning and we don't, we are not afraid. Yeah. And people are interested. Exactly. Yeah. That's what, what the best part about it. And one great thing about podcasts is that if, even if they miss it on the day that it's going to run the first time, they can always go back. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, and, uh, access it. Access it. Like yeah, is. back in the day, people were afraid of chiles. Yeah, yeah. I believe now everybody's using chiles now. Yeah, and you can, you can give access to them as well. Exactly. They're all over the place, you yeah. know. We, we encourage everybody to keep listening to Cooking in Mexican from A to Z right here on HRN. Uh, we're excited to continue to pre- uh, present more, more podcasts with beautiful ingredients, celebrating the culture of Mexico, the ingredients, how to use them, their techniques, uh, and then all backed up with wonderful stories. And uh, you can imagine that this is going to continue going and we're going to continue to have fun and inspire all of you. Thank you so much for joining us and Cooking in Mexico from ADC. I'm Aaron Sanchez. And I'm Sarela Martinez. And here we are with Jorge, the gorgeous Jorge. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening.
Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Yeah.